Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the first Sunday in Advent, November 28, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. can be found on page 1636 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke 21, verses 25 through 36. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Intensity so often seems like it's a matter of perspective. An intense workout for me is a one-mile jog. An intense workout for a marathoner is slightly longer. This works with the march of history as well. I recently saw a meme on social media that helps illustrate or at least mock the point. If you look at a 30-year-old in 1921, he might be saying something like this. Even though I have nine kids, I will welcome my orphaned five-year-old niece to be a part of our family. How about a 30-year-old in the year 2021? He might say something like, I'm very stressed about my cat's birthday next week. I think that illustrates the point. And it's things like these that help us keep proper perspective about world history. Things are intense right now, make no mistake about it. But are they intensifying? We are making every effort to emerge from a global pandemic, but we certainly haven't suffered through the bubonic plague, which potentially killed upwards of 200 million people, which would have been about 60% of the population of Europe at the time. We are tracking, even as we speak, various military conflicts or potential conflicts in Ukraine, 
in Myanmar, in Ethiopia, in Iran, in China, and other parts of the world. But within the last 115 years, we've endured two world wars plus countless other conflicts. Politicians, our politics and private life seem polarized by partisan conflict, but are they really more polarized than at any other points in history, even just our, neighbor, our nation's history? Remember, at one point in time in our nation's history, one politician was killed by another politician in a duel. Put things in perspective again. We would all do well to ask ourselves in the midst of the stress of everyday life, are things getting more intense or do they seem like they're getting more intense because we know more about things instantly? Now these rhetorical questions serve to set the tone for our gospel lesson this morning about the second coming of Jesus Christ. His entire return is based upon intensity. But this intensification is based on objective reality rather than perspective, rather than personal experience. So turning our eyes back to Luke 21 this morning, first we see an intensification of natural calamity. End times alarmists on the one hand and normal, rational humans, on the other hand, don't have much in common, but we do have this. It is biblical truth that before the second coming of Christ, things are going to get worse. That's the reality of Scripture. It says so here in our text. Jesus says so here in our text. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. As we approach the day when Jesus Christ returns in glory, things are going to happen with terrible, awe-inspiring significance. We could spend all our time trying to, to decipher what these things might be. We can examine every asteroid or meteorite that comes within the Earth's orbit. We could look at every earthquake. We could consider every flood or tsunami warning. We could spend all our time writing books about ridiculous things like blood moons. Or we could stand in the truth of Scripture and talk about what, all, what the reality of all this means. As extraordinary and terrifying as these signs and wonders might be, the reality is even more striking. These signs and wonders that Jesus promises represent an undoing of God's benevolent order in creation to the point that it is an undoing of creation itself. Now, humans have understood natural cataclysms as God's judgment for millennia. We're wired to do this. But what we often fail to see, that it's not the event in and of itself all the time that is significant, 
so much as it is that God is allowing it to happen. We, most days, a majority of the time, a vast majority of the time, are to take and derive comfort from God's order in creation. When the fig tree sprouts its leaves, or in Minnesota, the oak tree, we're supposed to take comfort because spring is upon us and summer is coming and we probably don't have to worry that the next day will be 40 below. We're to take cover or to, to take comfort in the reality that God has designed creation for our blessing. But as we get closer to the moment Christ returns, creation will be undone as God prepares to punish sin for all time. And this punishment, this undoing of creation, brings about another kind of intensification, perhaps even more significant for our purposes this morning. There will be an intensification of human fear. Now, I already read twice about people fainting with fear because of the signs, but there's something else that happens after this in our text. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth." Now, that people respond to natural disasters with an unhealthy fear should not surprise us. I spent most of my year living in California on my seminary internship bracing for an earthquake. Every other Sunday, in fact, I would drive over the San Andreas Fault. And I would spend my time praying that the next earthquake wouldn't happen when I was on the bridge over the San Andreas Fault. We worry about things like that. In fact, it's one of the reasons I live in Minnesota. Less natural disasters to worry about. We can all avoid a blizzard by staying inside. The only way to avoid an earthquake is to coincidentally be on an airplane in the air at that time. That's how things work. Fear, responding to natural disasters, is in fact natural. But what is significant here is that the people experiencing these natural disasters let their fear turn into unhealthy avoidance through things like drunkenness. That is significant here in the text this morning. The real interesting reality that Jesus highlights here is between the two sections of human response. Jesus says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, much has been made about this little verse, and it's usually because this little verse is ripped right out of its context. Is Jesus here predicting that these events will take place during the actual capital E, capital T times? Or is he teaching that everything he predicts would happen before the year A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed? Is Jesus talking about the generation he's preaching to? 
or some other generation? The answer, for our purposes, is probably both and neither. Jesus isn't referring to an undefined group of people who will experience these signs. In fact, when Luke, in his gospel, uses the phrase, this generation, it always refers to unbelievers who reject the authority of God and the person of Jesus Christ. What that means for us this morning is that these warnings about the signs of the end times are referring to the idolatry of unbelief. And that is a key phrase for us this morning, the idolatry of unbelief. Now, most people would treat unbelief as an absence of belief, but in fact, unbelief is idolatry personified. It is the apex of idolatry. And this is so important to recognize, not just because we are seeing here how unbelievers respond to God's judgment in the world, but that this response typifies the response of all our human natures. When God causes unexpected and calamitous events to happen in our lives, He is calling us to repentance. But when that happens, when terror strikes us, when we wrestle with losing control in our own lives, repentance is often the farthest thing from our minds. Our sinful natures have programmed us to do anything but repent when we are confronted with the judgment of sin. Sometimes, when that happens, we flee from God, like Jonah. Sometimes we fall into the works righteousness of the Pharisees, trying to impress God into relenting and convince Him that we don't really deserve what is happening to us. And other times, we fall into paralyzing fear and panic, like the unbelievers Jesus is describing this morning. But when this happens, God's call to you this morning is that in the face of unexpected things, in the face of life situations that are out of your control, your first response ought to be repentance. Because in repenting, God will comfort you with his presence and his provision and his promise of eternity in your lives. This identification of unrepentance as the problem, as Jesus teaches about the end times, is important because of the final intensification Christ preaches about. And that is the intensification of Christian activity. Now there are a series of commands and exhortations that Jesus gives to his disciples that would indicate what he desires from his church. Some of these commands are straighten up, look, know, watch, stay awake. There's a theme developing for us. Jesus wants us to be alert and aware of going, what's going on around us. In awareness, we won't panic and respond with fear or the idolatry of unbelief. That's because there's one last action Christ would have us emulate. He tells us to pray. The word pray 
that he uses this morning describes a different kind of prayer than what we're used to seeing in Scripture. The kind of prayer we're used to seeing in Scripture is prayer of a religious context or, or, or what is referred to as liturgical prayer. You come to church and you pray. You sit down before a meal and you pray. It's a natural exercise of your faith. But the word that Jesus uses this morning actually means to plead or to beg. It's got a sense of urgency attached to it. So that as the times before Christ returns intensify, we have been instructed now by Christ to respond by intensifying our prayer. We have been instructed by Christ to respond to the 10 o'clock news in the morning paper and whatever the thing on Twitter or Facebook that people are freaking out about by praying. And I can tell you right now, one of the most common prayers you can pray in the moment as you see the signs intensifying is just to utter, to habitually utter, Lord, have mercy. It's a great habit to get into. And this is more or less what Jesus describes for us this morning. Jesus tells us first to pray that we might have strength to escape these signs and catastrophes. But we desire to escape them not out of avoidance, but out of a desire to not be paralyzed by our fear and the idolatry of unbelief. We pray to be sustained through these catastrophes so that we don't turn out of faith away from Christ, but that we turn in faith to Christ. And we see that because Christ also teaches us to pray that we might have the strength to stand before him when he returns. That's the entire point of this passage. Praying for the strength to stand before Christ at his return directs us away from this panic. It directs us away from the paralyzing fear of unbelief. It moves our attention away from all of the disaster and all of the calamity and all of the catastrophe. And it insulates us from panic and a sinful avoidance of repentance. The message of Christ in the end times here and the message of God's word throughout Scripture is that these signs, these catastrophes, and these problems in creation are normal. We should expect them. In fact, there's a certain sense as we consider the sin of the world around us that it is fair for us to ask, why aren't they happening more often? But Christ directs us to pray. And he directs us to pray that we might stand before him. And in praying that we might stand, we are directed by Jesus here in Luke 21 to notice the two promises that he delivers. Two promises that are almost always written out of the context when we focus on the end times. 
First, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And second, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's reality for us, for you as a Christian, and for me is simply this. As the world continues to come apart at the seams, as history begins to intensify its march toward the apocalypse, what most needs to intensify in your life is your focus on the Word of God. Everything around you in the world and even in your own life is going to unravel at some point. God has judged sin. He did so at the death of Christ. But God also punishes sin. The second coming of Christ teaches us that he will punish sin for all eternity for those who do not repent. Everything is going to unravel. But God's word, his word for you, will always stand true. God is never, ever going to take the gospel away. As Satan and the world and even your own sinful flesh tempt you to despair, dismay, and panic, God instead directs you to his gospel promises, these promises that he lavishes on you because of his Son. And as the world falls apart, you stand not in dread but in assurance, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. This is the focus and the promise of the season of Advent. And yes, Jesus is coming back to punish sin once and for all. But what is true over and above all else is that Jesus is coming back for you, the child of God he died for, and the child of God he redeemed. And when he comes back for you, he will usher you into eternity with no calamity, no disaster, no fear or sin or death or anything like that. Jesus will usher you into eternity of perfect peace. Amen. And now... May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.